0: Hello, and welcome to this special podcast brought to you by CSF. Today we will be discussing the COVID-19 Rheumatology Registry. My name is Professor Johannes Belsma from the University Medical Center in Utrecht, the Netherlands, and today I'm joined by Professor Kemme Heiri. Heirich. Professor Heyrich currently works in the UK Center for Epidemiology versus Arthritis and as a Consultant Rheumatologist in the Kelvin Center for Rheumatology at Manchester University Hospital. Kimme is also a very much appreciated member of the EULA Registry Group. Welcome, Professor Heyrich, and thank you for your time. Good morning. Good morning. With the ongoing global COVID-19 outbreak, there's an important need to collect data on rheumatology patients who contract the disease. Professor Heyrich has kindly given us time to discuss the importance of registers to collect data and how the data collection is being coordinated globally to ensure we can gather and share data quickly to allow rapid publication of key findings. Perhaps you can give us some background on the genesis of COVID registries and where we are today.
1: So this registry uh, falls under the wider spectrum of the Global Rheumatology Alliance Register. And this was a database that was uh, developed by colleagues uh, in San Francisco uh, and elsewhere in the United States in collaboration with colleagues in Australia. And I think internationally it was recognized that fairly quickly we needed data to understand outcomes in patients who had rheumatology conditions. Uh, The GRA, the Global Rheumatology Alliance, reached out to a number of organizations to ask for their general support to try to gather um, mo- motivation really to capture these patients and they reached out to ULAR. Now within the EU, of course, we have special considerations because we have the uh, general data protection regulation. And in particular, there are issues around sending data uh, outside the EU uh, and to the United States where the main database is held. Uh, ULAR then reached out to uh, members of the uh, Standing Committee for Epidemiology, and we we quickly agreed that what we should actually do is establish a parallel database, the ULAR COVID-19 database, uh, in collaboration with our international partners.
0: So what we collect and data is exactly the same as the, the Global Alliance, isn't it?
1: For the most part, the data captured is exactly the same. The database has been developed in parallel and the global team has been exceptionally collaborative and generous and has shared with us database programming. As we as we learn more and more about COVID, and many of us are now treating patients with COVID, we realize that there are some uh, things that we're learning along the way and want to ask more questions. So there are a few minor questions that we have changed. Particularly right now within uh, Europe. Uh, because we wanted this to be anonymized data we don't have a facility for people to go back and update their records uh, so within Europe we specifically ask for people to wait until the outcomes are known and this is slightly different than what they're doing with the International Register.
0: So uh, Is there some bias there then? What do you think?
1: Uh, I, so, <laughs> so we can have a lot of discussion around bias because <laughs> unfortunately uh, there is a lot of bias uh, inherent in any kind of database established like this. I think there, no, I don't think there is bias related to the fact that people can come back. Our cases will be reported a bit later. Uh, equally, there's a higher opportunity for missing data if you capture them too soon.
0: And then how do they align this existing registries? Any idea?
1: Yeah, so, uh, Uh, As you'll know, uh, my day job, when I'm not living in our current situation, I run one of the national biologic registries, the BSRBR. uh, And we had a lot of discussion early on about whether this could be a vehicle to capture these data. And unfortunately, because it's not classified as essential research, uh, we're not able to rapidly uh, acquire information on COVID infections in the UK using this mechanism. In other countries, their uh, databases are more uh, built into their national health records such as in Sweden, Switzerland, Portugal. So what we've done where these existing data capture systems exist is we've worked very closely with uh, leads in those countries and they are also building very similar data capture or indeed the same RedCap database into theirs. And we have data sharing agreements uh, with data now being imported into the ULAR database.
0: So it's stimulating each other, isn't it?
1: Pardon me? It's
0: stimulating each other, so...
1: It's absolutely stimulating each other, and it's been a wonderful collaborative experience, yeah.
0: So that's very good.
1: So so why is this registry
0: important for patients?
1: Well, I think rheumatology is an interesting specialty in relation to the uh, COVID infection. On the one hand, we have a number of patients who either due to their inherent rheumatological condition, uh, or indeed the treatments that we give them, they represent a group of patients that may be at high risk of serious infection due to their general immunosuppression. And this is information we've seen with other general infections in the past. Interestingly, however, many of the medications we use to treat our rheumatological conditions, such as hydroxychloroquine, tocolizumab, and other biologics, have also been uh, raised as potential treatments for either prevention or management of complications of COVID infection. So therefore, I think it is really important to understand for a patient uh, with receiving drugs that could both uh, increase the risk and also perhaps treat the condition to understand what COVID looks like within this population.
0: So, But we cannot get any information about the incidence in the population of RMD patients, or can we?
1: So using the ULAR-CV19 database, this is not a question that we can answer. to, To undertake that, you need to have an idea of the total population and then look at new cases within it. With time, I think all of our biologics registers and other RA registers will answer that question beautifully. And some of the EPR uh, health quality systems, such as in Switzerland and Scandinavia, may be able to answer that question sooner.
0: Yeah, because that's always, for patients, it's a very important question. They ask, am I now more prone to get the disease or uh, less prone to get the disease? But we th- will not get an answer to that in a very few months. Uh,
1: I think it's important to know that probably all of us, uh, yourself and myself included, are at risk of acquiring COVID-19. I think what patients with immunosuppressive drugs may have is a higher risk of having a serious or hospitalized uh, condition.
0: Yeah, so it's something that needs to be found out yet because we're not completely sure. We got some impression from case studies that it's uh, more or less less severe the disease and some case studies make it more severe. So how, how will the data that are now collected influence our future treatment decisions.
1: So this is a a very good question. So the ULAR COVID-19 database is in essence the largest case series of patients we'll ever experience in rheumatology. It's it's not set up as a research study, it's set up as a database so we can learn from what is reported. Um, What we can Learn is from the experience of others. It won't give us definite answers, but it can generate hypotheses. Uh, it can perhaps raise signals. So, for example, uh, if we saw that one drug, uh, rheumatological drug, had particularly few cases, uh, looking further at those patients may lead us to perhaps further uh, research or even uh, basic science research into understanding how those drugs could influence viral handling.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: The other thing it will do is there's a lot of myths, rumors, concerns about who is and isn't getting COVID. And I think this database will show that uh, you know, among patients with rheumatic disease as we can see who, who is and isn't getting it. So, for example, there's many patients with severe disease who have received hydroxychloroquine. There's been reports of no cases within lupus, but our register has already shown that that, in fact, unfortunately, is not the case.
0: Yes, yeah, so there was an original humor that it was not occurring in SLE patients, but that's not true based on your exactly. database, yes.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: So that's so it's very important to get information quite soon out, isn't it? Yes, it and is. And then we realize that information is not correct at that moment yet, it's not sure, but you update it every week. So one week you can say yes, and the other week you can say no.
1: Absolutely, and those are the exact same discussions that we had when we were starting this. In some weeks we may have it wrong, but it's the most up-to-date, and I think particularly with this database, very different to how we've run registry, uh, and databases in the past, is this is not a time to accumulate all of your data and then publish, Uh, and we've been working very closely with ULAR, uh, and our first report will go go on the ULAR website today.
0: So, there's a balance between science and public health, uh, I think, in this area, isn't it? Correct. So because science we have to wait for years to be sure that we need to handle now, and then it's public health. So, Absolutely. let's have a look at the practical details. It's, previously, it has been considered very time consuming and difficult. Will that be the case here as well?
1: So, we're very cognizant that right now, Physicians time is uh, very precious. Absolutely, Many yeah. rheumatologists are not working as rheumatologists currently. They're working as general medical consultant and other frontline staff. So we've designed the case report form with this in mind. This is very different from some of the case report forms people may be used to in some of our national uh, data registries. We've facilitated the fact that, uh, as the rheumatologist, you may not know everything about your patient. And indeed, I've entered one of my own patients now on this, and there were many aspects of the case, unfortunately, I didn't have access to. We we estimate, with the patient's medical record present or other information, it should take around five minutes to enter the data, which is much shorter than previous.
0: And then how do they upload it to the registry?
1: So this is very easy to do. Uh, we have a link on the ULAR website Uh, You just simply click on the link, the form opens up and you can proceed to enter the data. There's no password, there's no login, there's no special permissions. Uh, The database form should open very easily. So
0: you mentioned that in some patients you don't have all the relevant data, but what kind of data are you exactly collecting?
1: So we're collecting data both in regards to the patient's background rheumatological conditions, such as what is the diagnosis, what treatments they were receiving at the time that they acquired the infection, uh, and what comorbidities that were already present. We also capture information of what happens after they've acquired the infection. So were rheumatic treatments stopped or were they continued? Uh, What complications did the patient have? were there any specific lab tests that uh, were abnormal? Uh, a simple question, such as whether the COVID infection was actually confirmed with the PCR or other tests, because in many cases people are not getting tested.
0: Yep. So, and all that you can collect in five
1: minutes. <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> yeah. I think for some patients it's probably even less. And for the patients... Uh, for my, my one patient, unfortunately, I had a prolonged intensive care unit stay. Uh, it, more time. Yeah. It, it took a bit more time, but the electronic medical record made it much easier to search for these specific things.
0: Yeah, and so if you cannot fill in some of the questions because you don't have the data, what happens then?
1: Uh, for every question we have an unknown box, Yeah, it but doesn't how, stop you. How do you
0: deal with it in the registry? It, it doesn't stop you to fill in the registry, I understand that, but how are you no, dealing with it?
1: There's very few questions that are mandatory to complete. Uh, There are questions around vital status in particular, um, what the outcome was that we do try to encourage everyone to complete.
0: Yeah. Okay. And will the data be shared, shared between the registries? I think that was the intention primarily, isn't it?
1: It is the intention. So already we have an agreement in place between the global database based in the United States and the ULAR database. Um, you will have seen already that we've shared data and had a preliminary commentary about the registry in uh, the Lancet Rheumatology. We have another manuscript uh, that's being prepared with combined data. Similarly, we're also sharing data between the individual some of the individual national European registries. Um, the the nature of this database uh, to look at some both rare rheumatic diseases and rare treatment requires high numbers, and therefore I think it's only through international collaboration that we will generate these.
0: So it, it, quite some people ask me why has Eura its own registry? Why is a European one? And you already mentioned a little bit that's because of legal uh, uh, possibilities, because we are not allowed in the European law to share our data outside Europe, in fact. And the Americans have a different way of looking at privacy data, and that makes quite a legal problem. So, of course, we would have liked to have only one registry, but the legal situation makes it necessary to do so. But you're quite confident, and I've seen already some of the results, that it can be shared together very well, so that in the end, the outcome will be the same. So how many cases have been inputted so far?
1: So overall in the global database which is combining the ULAR and the uh, GRA database we now have over 600 cases Uh, and as of yesterday we had uh, 250 cases reported in Europe and that has not yet included imports from the national registers which we hope to start this week.
0: Yeah, so will it be large enough to get significant findings?
1: I think for Overall, among all of rheumatology, and for some of our most common conditions, it will be large enough. For some of the less common rheumatic diseases, I think this has been a problem even prior to COVID capturing data, which is why it's so important that everyone makes every effort to report every case that they are aware of.
0: Yeah, so perhaps it's good to explain a little bit what kind, uh, because if we discuss RMDs, rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases, For this, we are especially looking at inflammatory rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases. And we're not looking at osteoarthritis, or low back pain, or tendinitis, isn't it?
1: This is correct. So for certain conditions, uh, the ones that you've mentioned, uh, patients that have fibromyalgia as their only rheumatic disease, patients with osteoporosis uh, are not uh, included. Uh, Overall, the focus is on inflammatory arthritis, connective tissue disease, and a few other conditions.
0: Yeah. And then it's important to know that from the smaller subgroups, for instance scleroderma, that we will get enough patients in to make specific items about that, isn't it?
1: So the only way we will get enough patients is if enough patients are reported into the database. Uh, and even to comment on the information that we do have will be more information than what we currently have.
0: Yes. So for the whole situation, it would be best if COVID stopped and then we <laughs> don't have a full database but re- reality will be quite different. So how long do you expect to be active with this registry? One year, two years?
1: I would hope that by Christmas this next year, this is done.
0: Yeah. So
1: um, we yes, all hope, I think. Uh, yes. We all hope.
0: <laughs> so if people want to have more information and resources, what can they look for?
1: So the best source of information is on the ULAR Website, we have a page dedicated to the ULAR CV19 database. There it includes uh, snapshots of what data people would have to enter into the database. It includes information on uh, the ethics and, in particular, the fact that this uh, database uh, is not considered research, it's considered Uh um, a quality improvement and evaluation project. Uh, So, information about that is there. And, of course, any uh, further information, we have a dedicated email address also.
0: Okay, so if, if we already discussed a little bit, but given the fast-evolving situation, how often will data be released from the registries? Is that every week or what can we yes. expect?
1: So it's taken us a bit to get the mechanism working, uh, but as I mentioned, today we plan to put our first uh, report, uh, which has got some uh, top-line information about the patients yes. within the database, Uh, And we now are planning to update that uh, once a week, uh, with hopefully that being posted every Tuesday. Perfect.
0: And can we be assured that all data will be collated? Yes. Okay.
1: It's an easy answer, but it's been the spirit of it right from the (laughs) outset.
0: (laughs) So when I'm living in Europe, and I think this is a very obvious question, where should I enter my data? At the EULA? Or the global or at both?
1: So we've we've tried to make this as easy as possible. The important thing is that the data doesn't get entered into both. And the reasons for that, of course, is because the data are being combined. And as the data are anonymized, it would be impossible to identify duplicates. We've worked very closely with the uh, global database, such that uh, only patients from uh, the EU and ULAR countries can enter data into the ULAR database. And everyone else can enter it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly if there are national databases such as Portugal uh, and Sweden uh, and Italy uh, you cannot enter into the ULAR database you should enter it into your national database and the data will all find each other.
0: So they will behind the screen they will be connected? Absolutely. So all the data will be there but also at a weekly base.
1: The yes, so obviously, uh, this is the ideal that we would have data uh, weekly. These things don't run themselves. And it's important that we are able to work closely with database uh, technicians across a number of countries Uh, for those where this is embedded within an electronic medical record that can be more difficult. But the ideal situation is that we would uh, be transferring data uh, as frequently as we can, probably at least weekly.
0: And probably when a European physician is entering data in the global registry, he doesn't realize that there's a different legal background there.
1: Uh, I think it is important. I, but
0: they I think don't realize. They don't know, I think.
1: They probably don't know, but yes, we know.
0: <laughs> a, we know, but they yes. don't know. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any final thoughts or comments that you would like to make?
1: I think that I'd like to make two two main comments about this. The first is to really commend all of the the colleagues, both my colleagues within ULAR and my colleagues uh, associated with the Global Rheumatology Alliance, to to really say the spirit, the collaborative spirit has been unlike any research uh, or other project I've ever been involved with. And the second thing really is uh, to encourage all of my rheumatology colleagues all across Europe to uh, register all of their patients, and particularly even patients that have just reported in with mild symptoms. I think it's important that we try to understand everybody.
0: You're completely right. I can only echo these, uh, these final thoughts. So thank you again for your time, Professor Heinrich. I think we also have to thank from the EURA side, all those people in the group of the epidemiologists and other people involved in these databases, for all the effort And as you described, a lot of positive energy Came out there that led to this very effective way of getting data gathering. And I'm really impressed that already after such a short time, we are getting relevant data. So I hope our discussion has provided a comprehensive overview of the COVID 19 global registry and the EURO part of it and its research objective, protocols, and procedures. We also hope you feel motivated to input your own patient data, which will go a long way informing future decisions regarding treatment of COVID-19 in patients with rheumatic disease and we sincerely hope you're staying safe and wish you well in your practice. Thank you very much for your attention.